We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Napa a Napa guy knows that by the foot, there's no better ride than an old station wagon. Room for six people facing forward, two people facing backward, and a whole lot of luggage, lumber, and bicycles haphazardly strapped to the roof. If you can parallel park that beast, you can park anything. And with some quality parts and a little Napa know-how, you can keep your land ship running longer, stronger. It's not obsolete. It's a rare treasure. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. Welcome to the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast. Derek Van Riper joined today by Tim Heaney. It is Friday of week one of this 2016 season. We finally have a meaningful game in the books and 15 more still to come in this week. If you are listening to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher and you're enjoying it, well, please take a few moments to leave us a nice rating and a review. We mention it on pretty much every episode because it's important. Thanks to those of you who have already taken the time to do that we uh, really appreciate your support uh tim before we start diving into the uh, panthers broncos super bowl 50 rematch the injury report some players we'd like for this week uh, how's it going today how's your week been going uh it's going all right uh nice to finally like you said have some action that we can actually talk about that actually existed instead of just doing the you know the usual hypotheticals of the uh preseason it's you know it gets annoying after a while just talking about stuff that might happen it's nice to have something that we can look to to say okay this is a little bit something in the books now and you know in our notes and you know it's it's nice to just have something tangible there uh for discussion absolutely pretty nice opener last night broncos 21 20 winners over the panthers we talked about it on the thursday pod with nick whalen i was surprised the broncos were home underdogs i think a lot of it had to do with trevor simeon making his first nfl start and you look at simeon's numbers at the end of this one nothing special about them 18 of 26 178 yards uh, one TD pass, two picks. He was sacked twice, rushed five times for 20 yards. So he was at the level of competency necessary for the Broncos to win a game. 
against a very good Carolina team, which in terms of Denver might be enough for Simeon to keep the job for more than a couple of weeks. Yeah, I, I think the most important thing that Simeon, you know, did last night was just to kind of assert that in his hands, the offense will run as desired. I mean, Gary Kubiak obviously does have a uh, set design of, of you know, key uh, points that he wants his quarterbacks to do. And, you know, maybe not throw as many pick sixes as Matt Schaub used to for him. But uh, <laughs> I, I think that, you know, he does want just a game manager for this offense as long as he just keeps things moving. Not necessarily all that many deep throws, just, you know, run first and work off the run. And Simeon did a great job of that, just, you know, made, making solid decisions, you know, getting the ball in the hands of the receivers, even though there wasn't anything, you know, big gains that was happening for most of those plays against a tough defense. So, yeah, he, he did all he had to do. And, you know, I, would, I don't want to say it's overly impressive. I think Chris Collinsworth, who, whom I usually like, was kind of fawning all over him. I was, you know, hoping he'd pump the brakes a little bit on that. But, yeah, Simeon, you know, did a good job. And maybe fantasy backup from here on out, but just – you know, the job is look like looks like it's his for now. It's one to watch depending on how Paxton Lynch, you know, develops and all that. But yeah, Simeon did what he had to do. And, you know, it, it's it, it's just kind of going to be moving forward for Denver right now. Collinsworth seemed a little off yesterday. Maybe just first game of the year. That's that's a big factor. There was some point uh, where the Broncos were, I think, only down three early in the fourth quarter. And he suggested that had they not converted the third down that, Gary Kubiak would have thought about kicking a field goal. I think there were 14 minutes to go in the fourth quarter. The field goal would have tied it. Like suggesting they would go for it on fourth down in, in that scenario it would have been like fourth and four <laughs> was just absurd, and it just kind of slipped right in there like it was no big deal. But the thing about Denver's offense that I think is very impressive is that Carolina is a good run defense, and they couldn't stop C.J. Anderson knowing that he was going to be the focal point. Like That's the key because Anderson's going to see loaded boxes this year. But he looks like he's got the skills necessary to produce despite it. I mean, you look at what he did last night, 20 carries for 92 yards, 4.6 yards per carry, a long carry of 28, got in the end zone once on the ground, caught a TD pass as well, 4 for 47 through the air. Clearly the Broncos don't miss Ronnie Hillman whatsoever. I mean, after Emmanuel Sanders and Demarius Thomas, there's C.J. Anderson right there with five targets. So, I don't have any shares of C.J. Anderson this year. It was kind of like a third-round price tag, maybe early fourth if he slipped. But I'm regretting that right now, Tim. I'm looking at him as a pretty easy like eight, top eight, top ten running back when it's all said and done this year. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've always been in a position to draft him. Like, you know, I didn't have a really good you know, beginning of the first round draft pick. So I've always been kind of do the back end of the third and Anderson usually went early round three. I never really even had a shot at him in most of them, but yeah, he does. He looks very comfortable in this offense. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that, you know, Simeon's lining up under center a lot more than Peyton Manning used to. And I think that, you know, he, he's the type of back that really kind of needs that to, to really run, you know, properly from, from that formation. I think he looked really uh, stellar uh, most of the time last night and obviously a great system fit for him. And we saw what he did a couple of years ago when he emerged as one of the probably one of the best fancy waiver wire pickups of the last decade. So, yeah, I, I do kind of feel a little bit of buyer's remorse. But, you know, did, did, would you have justified taking him in round two if you, you know, were early round two pick? Would you have really felt comfortable doing that. I don't think I would have um, auctioned, you know, people kind of were bidding strongly on him as a top 10 to begin with. So, you know, regret is a little bit there because, you know, we can do it, but the trust to do it, I think the price to get him was mostly out of my reach uh, this time. But yeah, I'm with you. I mean, obviously seeing something early in the season like this is going to influence us a little bit one way or the other, but yeah, Anderson's looking uh, pretty, pretty solid right now. Going to be paying off the guys that did have faith in him in fantasy leagues. Yeah. For me, I didn't want to push Anderson up. I didn't want to take him where Mark Ingram was going. I wanted to pass on Ingram because I could get LaShawn. John McCoy or CJ Anderson in some cases five to ten picks later so that was the kind of the stance I had and if I wasn't positioned where you know it was really an option to choose I didn't want to overpay to get Anderson because of some concerns we'll, we'll see if if teams scheme differently after getting a look at Trevor Simeon against Carolina last night I mean that's the one thing to keep in mind and this crossed my mind I want to say yesterday or two days ago thinking about the Packers a year ago and how at the beginning of the season even without Jordy Nelson Aaron Rodgers and that offense didn't look like they were missing a beat. I mean, remember they had the five TD pass game against the Chiefs in week three. I think he had three touchdown passes in week one against the Bears. Everything looked like it was going to be okay until Wade Phillips and the Denver defense sort of gave you the blueprint as to how exactly to defend Green Bay in the absence of Jordy Nelson. So sometimes it does take a few weeks for the league to catch up to what a team is doing. But I think if you're a C.J. Anderson owner, you're feeling really good about what you saw yesterday. On the flip side, if you're like me and you've got some shares of Devontae Booker, which mm. I've got Devontae Booker in the event that C.J. Anderson breaks down 
with the full season starting workload, you have to be discouraged in the sense that when a rookie running back coughs up the ball, when he fumbles and loses a fumble on his first NFL carry, the disproportionate punishment from the coaching staff for that is often one that leads a player to the bench for the better part of the first month of the season. Only three carries last night for Booker. The fact that he touched the ball at all after coughing up that fumble maybe suggests that Gary Kubiak really likes the player and it's not going to be a complete burial. But if you want to start reading the eulogy on Devontae Booker's rookie season, after that fumble on his first carry last night, legitimately, I'd be worried about him for the next few weeks because I think he's going to get buried. Yeah, I think the timeline, like you said, just kind of, you know, gets pushed even further as to when you think Booker would actually make a dent for flex worth, you know, if Anderson's healthy. Obviously, if Anderson's not healthy, they might have to reevaluate that. But, yeah, the ball security against a team like Carolina, they were probably valuing that heavily, especially with, you know, Simeon's, you know, first start and all. So, yeah, that that, that doesn't really bode well for uh, Booker's chances to be anything really but a bi-week desperation replacement if uh, this pattern continues. The last thought for the Denver side of this game, the two receivers, Emmanuel Sanders and Demarius Thomas, pretty quiet last night. Five for 49 on eight targets for Sanders, four for 48 on six targets for Thomas. I mean, how much of that do you attribute to, again, Carolina being a quality defense and Simeon not really having as many opportunities or as much time as he might have in other matchups to actually dissect the opposing defense? I think it's a mix of all those. I think game flow really had to do a lot with that because they were running the ball so well. And, you know, as we as we said, as I said before, Simeon, not really a guy that challenged player challenged opposing defenses that deep. You know, it's kind of a, it was a give and take of those two factors. And obviously that, you know, the, I've I've said a couple of times the Broncos are a after the catch type of team when it comes to the passing game, because Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders are some of the best at creating yardage after the catch. Early on, they kind of had a couple of good, uh, good pushes there with, you know, um, you know, like quick in routes that turn into, you know, 10 or 15 yards with the two of those guys. And I I still think they're valuable wide receivers fantasy wise. I do think it's going to be a week to week. You know, what's the game plan? Do they, are they going to have to feed them a bit more? I I don't think that the the game pace really made it. So they had to force it to them because, you know, even Virgil green had a couple of good contributions here and there to move the ball. And, you know, they, they turned the ball over a few times as well. So that kind of hurt things on that front. So they, maybe they, you know, Gary Kubiak did just kind of go towards the, uh, valuing just keeping possession so that was more of the running game involved so you know running games gonna be first probably in this offense but you know i wouldn't make this as the end-all be-all to say oh there's only gonna be like you know four catches per week for each of these guys i think there's gonna be a little bit more time as you said as as things kind of um you know turn into a uh, normal season pace that they'll change things up as they have to yeah i mean better days are probably ahead for sanders and thomas but if i'm getting an offer in line with what i paid for them on draft day you know, going into next week, I might take it. I might just try to divest from the passing game in Denver because I think it's going to be a little bit more inconsistent than it has been in years past. Not burying those guys. They're both going to be viable starters most weeks, but I'm not quite as excited about them as I was just a couple days ago after seeing it uh, last night. On the Carolina side, Cam Newton, this game started off really well for the Panthers. I mean, it was 17-7 at halftime, and it felt like the Panthers were just going to roll in the second half, Denver did a great job responding, uh, keeping it within 10 points going into the fourth quarter, and of course, rallying in the fourth. And this game came down to a, a Graham Gano missed field goal at the end. And you know, Cam Newton started off a lot better than he finished, started taking some vicious shots to the head, too. Very surprising that a lot of those hits weren't penalized by the officiating crew last night. Cam finishes 18 of 33 for 194. 5.9 yards per attempt, had a TD, a pick. He was sacked three times. I think he was hit 17 times, I saw, on ESPN today. And then Cam Newton had 11 carries for 54 yards and a TD. That's what ultimately made this a quality fantasy performance from Newton. But in terms of efficiency through the air, Denver's defense made it look as though they're very much intact from where they were a year ago. Yeah, I think the Kelvin Benjamin performance might be the exception to all that. But I, I do think you're right that they, they did hold him in check as the game went on. And they got more pressure, obviously, as the bread and butter is to attack like they did in the Super Bowl where Cam was really just out of his element mostly. But, you know, you, you figure last night that's probably Cam Newton's average or floor performance. That's still pretty good. I mean, that that's a skill set that kind of, you know, divested itself onto the field that um, – you know that that that's kind of the norm for him. I, you know that that that's still going to put him a top ten, top twelve quarterback every week. And you know that you you always want to have your, your top quarterback as that type of a level of performance, even if you reach from the third or fourth round. I don't necessarily think that you know it's going to be the season he had last year, but 
yeah, that that's kind of in line with what I expected him against a tough defense. So the fact that he came out the way he did against them, that that's that's encouraging because now that he does have Benjamin Beck, he does have a little bit more of a downfield threat, and obviously, as we saw last night, the red zone threat. So you know, I, I think that's going to keep him afloat as a definite QB one and probably a top five. But you know, it, that that's a case where I was pleased with what I saw, even though it wasn't amazing. It, it, it's good sometimes if your studs just have an okay first week that they're just, you know, nothing disastrous happens. Yeah, especially if they're going up against the top defense on the road in an environment like Denver. I think that's uh, actually a pretty good performance from Cam. I agree with you. I think he's a top five quarterback at season's end, maybe even top three again. It's just it's hard to repeat as the league's best fantasy quarterback year over year. Mm-hmm. It's more just fading him because teams are going to scheme and play him differently. He does still have injury risk. I mean, we saw it last night. He took all those shots. He's pa- apparently, he's passed four concussion tests yep. since the end of the game. And as you, if you know anything about concussions, one thing we've learned or been told in recent years is that symptoms can present up to 24 hours after a concussion occurs. So you know, we're recording this at like 2.15 Eastern time Friday afternoon. He's still got eight more hours where symptoms could pop up relatively easily. And if that were to happen, of course, he has to go through the protocol. So I don't think he's completely out of the woods yet, even though the early indications are that he'll actually be okay for week two. Uh, We could segue into a long conversation about the failure of the NFL's concussion protocol. I mean, clearly it it, it whipped miserably last night. I'm going to spare the listeners that conversation (laughs) because I think we're probably on the same page in that it's still very frustrating the league can't get this right. I know you want to see stars in the field. You want Cam Newton to try to finish this game because it's better television, it's better spectacle, it's better sport than having Derek Anderson come in in relief. But this is one of these things that I don't think we're that far away. Maybe it's only five years. Maybe it's as many as ten. But we're going to get to a point. We're going to look back at highlights from games like tonight or last night and and just kind of say what the heck were we thinking like why was this happening why was the league letting this happen on a regular basis because i mean brain injuries are scary like there's there's no way around that and it just seems like last night the entire crew aside from the officials the concussion protocol in place failed cam newton uh pretty pretty considerably but looking at carolina's receiving core i i bought in on what the Panthers were saying with regard to Kelvin Benjamin being limited, in part because he was coming off that torn ACL. It just it seemed too plausible, right? And it was clearly misdirection on the part of Ron Rivera, suggesting that Benjamin might play fewer snaps than he did as a rookie, that he might see like 30 to 35 plays in the opener. He was their most targeted receiver. He was their most efficient receiver, and he was the one who hauled in Cam's only TD pass on the evening. So I think if you had any concerns about Kelvin Benjamin... Last night's performance against that great Denver defense really did a lot to erase those. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I was lucky enough to have a question on Twitter that someone asked if they should bench Calvin Benjamin and, and play Ted Ginn Jr. Instead. And I had enough common sense to figure that as, even though with all the risks that Benjamin was having with the snap count, I still would want to play Kelvin Benjamin most weeks, even in the state of him just coming back from, you know, ACL rehab and all that. And, you know, I'm, I'm not a medical uh, you know professional or anything like that, but, you know, you do kind of notice a little bit more on the side of ACL repairs. Uh, being a little bit more secure than they used to be in terms of coming back as long as you've had the full year or off season to have that going. I mean, you know, we, we talk about guys like Jeremy Macklin who've done that and then have had it blown up the next season. And, you know, I'm not saying it's a given in every state, but you definitely have a little bit more confidence in the rehab of that. I think more, more so than it used to be what, 10 years ago. Um, you know, we can talk about Jeff Stotts, our, our medical, you know, uh, athletic trainer for more of that stuff. And he actually had an article about that this past week i read a little bit of so uh yeah but benjamin you know guy who's gonna be you know top 20-ish receiver most weeks and like i said if he's like if it's a wide receiver three question he's like a great wide receiver three at this point in the year so you know as long as you keep your expectations in check he's not going to be the ac was as a rookie uh i think it could be all right with playing him yeah I, i wonder i wonder if we just are underrating cam as a passer and kelvin benjamin as a player he's just so big so physical benjamin can get that separation uh, and deal with more physical corners, too. So I think with, with Benjamin, I underestimated him, for sure. Greg Olson was productive in this one, 7 for 73 on nine targets. Once again, getting his. Otherwise, not much to write home about as far as Philly Brown, Devin Funches, Ted Ginn, one catch apiece, all below uh, 11 yards last night. Here's the other problem, though, with Carolina. I mean, aside from any concerns you might have right now about Cam 
uh, possibly have suffered a concussion. Again, so far, no sign that he has, but I'm, I'm dubious. They don't have a quality running back behind Jonathan Stewart. If Jonathan Stewart goes down, Carolina can become a lot more one-dimensional. I mean, Cam will run the ball a lot, but he can't run it much more than he did last night. I mean, realistically, you can't expose him for more than 10 or 12 designed runs per game. And if Jonathan Stewart gets hurt, I thought Stewart looked okay, given the matchup, 15 carries, 64 yards. They have to rely on Cameron Artis-Payne, who is inactive, Fozzie Whitaker, and Mike Tolbert. I mean, that's ridiculous. And right. the other wrinkle to this is why is Mike Tolbert getting carries in this offense? It's, it's got to be the same feeling for Panthers fans when, when Tolbert gets a carry that I would get over the years when John Kuhn would get to run the ball for the Packers. It's like you have the best quarterback in the league in Aaron Rodgers. In Carolina's case, you got one that maybe is the best right now in Cam Newton, or he's very close. And you insist on handing the ball off to your bookshelf-shaped fullback. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, the fact that Cameron Artis Payne is inactive, I, I don't think it's as much of a testament to him not being good. I think it's more of the, we have the J. Stu role, so we want to have the Fozzie Whitaker, you know, change up third down type of role, and Mike Tolbert for some reason that we have plays that we have set for him. So, you know, I, I don't think Artis Payne being inactive is much of a, uh, as much as a, of a knock on him as it is just to the to general strategy of the Panthers' backfield and who they keep. But yeah, you're right. I think if, if Stewart does go down, which, you know, as we've seen, is a pretty good likelihood that he'll miss at least a little bit of time every year, it is going to be kind of a mess because they, they'll probably just play that situationally, as you just said. And, you know, that could be like, they could very much be like the Seahawks were last year when their running game kind of just fell apart after Thomas Rawls, uh, you know, went down. They would just go, you know, uh, pass first altogether because they do have the weapons in 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 whatever their roles are too. So, you know, New, like you said, Newton is a passer, still continuing to grow, had some nice touch throws last night. So, yeah, backfield without Jonathan Stewart, I'm I'm not really looking forward to trying to, to pluck through and get any fantasy value off the waiver wire for that. Important to keep in mind something you said in that, Cameron Artis Payne being inactive. I mean, he might be the next man up behind Stewart, but based on how you manage the 45 man roster on game day with your inactives, if you have a guy like Cameron Artis Payne who doesn't play special teams, but Fozzie Whitaker does, clearly Mike Tolbert has another role as a blocker and fullback. So there's that. But that's the other aspect. Sometimes the next guy up in the event of a big injury to the starting running back is a player who doesn't dress on game day because of his limitations in other facets of the game. That is something to keep in mind. Uh, Let's talk about some injuries, though, as we look ahead to the rest of Week 1. The one I am tracking the most closely, Rob Gronkowski, and I don't even know why I'm really tracking it. I mean, I've got several shares. That's that's the why, but we're not going to know until Sunday night before kickoff. At least we're not going to be certain until Sunday night prior to kickoff, You know, 90 minutes before 8.30 Eastern. That's when we'll get the official word as to whether or not Rob Gronkowski is going to go with that hamstring injury. Yeah, and we know the Patriots and their uh, games with uh, injuries, obviously. Um, and, and, and any case like that where it's going to be a, a marquee night game on Sunday night, you always have to have um, – if you want to get points at least, you should have a backup that's playing in that game or the Monday night game. And at least you have two Monday night games this week that you can kind of get that Vance McDonald or or you know other type of player like Jesse James from the Steelers or so just to have that on hand. Because I'm guessing Martellus Bennett was drafted also in most leagues, so you got to be prepared for that. You know, Gronkowski, I could see him being limited but playing – so, you know, that, that's another case. I, I would still start a Gronkowski that's, you know, 70% over a lot of guys that are 100% just because, you know, maybe they'll use him as decoy, but maybe they'll just sneak that one touchdown by. But, you know, the Cardinals, you know, they, they've had some difficulties against tight ends here and there in recent years. So maybe that is a Martellus-Bennett type of game to take over on the offense because Gronkowski obviously is such a, you know, st- stalwart blocker. Yeah, you look at the way that sets up. I mean, if Bennett were available, he makes sense as your stash if you can make a late swap on Gronk. And then... Beyond that, if you're looking at Monday night, I mean, Jordan Reed's obviously owned. Maybe Vance McDonald is available. He'd be mm-hmm. the next best option. Jesse James, probably behind McDonald, then like Lance Kendricks right there behind mm-hmm. Jesse James. Like That's your short list of pickups because I think there's a lot of Gronk owners out there, and I've advocated this before, that when you have Rob Gronkowski, you don't have to burn a bench spot to begin the season. You know, When the bye week rolls around, you have to deal with it. You don't have to burn a bench spot on a backup tight end. That's part of the appeal of ownership. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, although you do have to, you know, like you said, maybe build in that one or two games that he does miss. But yeah, you, you, you don't want to invest in two spots like at a position where you invest with first round pick at. You, you usually don't want to uh, have that limitation on your roster because that just, you know, really messes up your bench. And, you know, I don't usually like drafting two tight ends in most leagues unless, you know, you get a double of like a Kelsey or a Greg Olson or something like that. But yeah, Gronk's a guy that, like you said, defines your entire tight end position until you have to have alternatives for, for whatever reason. It's a flat out guess. I just I feel like he's going to play, but I it's the Patriots, so don't <laughs> don't guess without a safety net is is the mm. best possible advice. Uh, Jamal Charles working his way back from a torn ACL earlier in the week. Andy Reid said it would be a stretch for Jamal Charles to play. He's been limited in practice throughout the week. I just I don't expect them to put him out there because they don't need to. I mean Spencer Ware I think can be perfectly capable. For this week, they've got Shark Hendrick West, they've got Niall Davis, they've got three options who, in the absence of Charles last year, in tandem, were pretty effective on the ground, and we're still talking about a player in Charles, even with the advancement in recoveries from ACL tears, he's less than a year out from his surgery, it just doesn't make any sense to push him out there if he's not completely healthy for week one. Right, as you said, Andy Reid, not a guy that really, I don't think, doesn't not that he doesn't care about not having Charles, but I think he he'll easily adapt to that because they do have, as you said, that trio of backs that they could just play situationally that they did with you know Doug Peterson. Even though he's gone now, obviously it's still Andy Reid's offense. So Charles is a guy I would not I would not bank on playing this week at all. Maybe twenty five percent chance for me at best because yeah, there's no reason for them not to be conservative with him. And even if he's out there, he's not going to see the workload we would typically expect Jamal Charles to see. So I would try to avoid him. Uh, at all costs, even if he is active. I know you paid a lot to get him on your teams, but look at that next best option. More often than not, that next best option will have a more firm role. Uh, Andrew Luck is on the injury report with a shoulder injury. We saw a report. I know Will Carroll, injury expert on Twitter, was pointing this out, that there is apparently some fraying of the labrum for Andrew Luck. We talked to our injury expert, Jeff Stotts, on the SiriusXM show today, uh, and he suggested this isn't really a big deal. He said... Basically, if you look at a lot of veteran players, you'd find damage like that, where it's one of these things that, yeah, it's not a it's not a good thing to have, but at the same time, it's pretty normal wear and tear, and maybe it just sounds worse than it really is to me, because freeing of the labrum for, say, like a pitcher in baseball is much more problematic. Right. I mean, the motion's a little bit different and all that, so definitely something you want to be concerned about there. And But, you know, you look at it and say that the Colts running game, do you really trust that to, to have any uh, any semblance of, you know, actual um, utility? Uh, it might against Detroit this week because that defense is a bit vulnerable, and maybe this week Frank Gore gets 25 carries just to kind of stave off that. But, yeah, I, I, I don't think it's anything where I'm saying, oh, if Luck's playing, you know, and, and I have a really low-end backup, I'm playing the low-end backup. I think it's more so, all right, if Luck plays, maybe he'll get top 12 numbers in fantasy instead this week, and I'll just have to kind of roll with that. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't really think about benching him unless something really comes up over the weekend. Only thing you got to keep in mind for the Luck matchup, if he were to get scratched, that is a late afternoon kickoff this week. It's part of the uh, second block, so... You do have fewer options to replace him. I think he's going to be just fine. Um, so I think Luck plays. I think Gronkowski plays. I don't expect Jamal Charles to play at all. And I'm a little concerned about the next guy, Thomas Rawls. Similar situation to Charles in that I think the Seahawks look at Rawls and say, you know, we want this guy to be completely healthy when he comes back. He only had two carries in the preseason due to the ankle injury that he suffered at the end of last year. Uh, of course, he's got an illness on top of that right now. I think he's got a better chance of playing than Charles, but I don't expect Rawls to see more than like eight to 10 carries because I think we're going to see a fair amount of Kristen Michael. Yeah. Michael's, you know, there's, there's, they've obviously restored confidence in him as he's, you know, kind of resurrected his career. Um, yeah. I, I don't think they take any chance with Rawls at, at least more so in like maybe a five or 10 touch type of role, maybe probably even less than that. But yeah, uh, again, another reason to kind of uh, keep things more conservative there. Michael knows this, you know, knows the system really well. He's been there a couple times, so he's, you know, knows what they expect, and they know what they expect of him. You know, devil, you know, etc. So, you know, Rawls, they, 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 he was one of the most efficient running backs uh, in the league last year when he was actually starting. I don't think they want to rush him back too soon, especially now that they're. I, I want to say a pass-first offense. They don't want to kind of shift uh, focus to rushing a guy like Rawls back at this point. I do think Pete Carroll and Daryl Bevel. If you're ranking coaching staffs and how willingly they would lie to the media, 
Like they'd be pretty high on the list for me. They'd, <laughs> they'd be at least top ten, maybe top five. Like they're not quite at the Belichick level, but maybe at the Ron Rivera level after the Ron Rivera, you know, Kelvin Benjamin, Devin Funches nonsense that I fell for. I mean, like I, I bit on that. So maybe that's got me a little nervous about taking them at their word. But it just seems like. They understand the importance. They're one of the organizations, when you read some of the long-form pieces about them, too, they do seem like players' coaches in a lot of ways, where they're more mindful of different aspects of uh, sports science and, and rest and different things that some teams that are more traditional may haven't bought into yet. So that would make me think they'd be inclined to dial back their expectations workload-wise for Thomas Rawls. How about Marcus Wheaton, though? He's got the Monday night game. So we won't really know until Saturday's practice report comes out if he's in legitimate danger of missing this game, which leads us to another point. There's no more probable designation on the NFL injury report. It's gone. It's just questionable, doubtful, or out, which for our purposes only makes things more cloudy, especially with the full and limited practice participation. At least there's limited. I mean, if they went to full and no, like if then it would be vague because you'd be like, well, like if it was just binary, did he participate or not? Yes. Well, okay. How much did he do? Like, at least we still have that. But with Marcus Wheaton, it's not just the injury. It's not just the fact that it's Monday night. It's also, we're really not sure what to expect from guys like Sammy Coates, Eli Rogers. I mean, Eli Rogers is probably the slot guy, but I don't think the Wheaton versus Coates thing has been clearly settled just yet. No, I don't think so. I mean, it's they're they're kind of different styles of receivers to begin with. So you know, you kind of have to play with that. You know, that's my thinking was that Coast is a little bit more like Martavis Bryant, and the fact that he's a you know go down the field, go and get it type of guy with with downfield routes. We can Wheaton a little bit more of the you know catch and run type. You know, he, he uh, both guys can play the outside. Wheaton can play, I think, all over the place. So that's not really going to limit him at all. But yeah, I think you're right. I think it's just kind of the target picture behind Antonio Brown. And especially now that Ladarius Green is uh, is on the pop, that's you know that's really kind of thrown things for Ben Roethlisberger into a little bit of disarray. And yeah, like you said about the the, the change in the practice report, I was actually shocked to learn that very recently. And I, you know, I was kind of shocked the fact that you know it's just you don't, you don't want to feel like they're being really like you know conspiracy theorists about this, but there's definitely a lot of Big Brother aspect to having less detail around things like that. I mean, maybe it goes into the effect that they they do want to protect the coaches' secrecy aspect of revealing you know not tipping their hand of who's actually going to play and you know maybe obviously bill belichick might have lobbied hard for that one so um yeah i'm not keen on playing wheaton questionable on a a monday night when he's already kind of a fringe wide receiver three option i would definitely just rather kind of look outside uh for that yeah use the other options you have before you get to those last two games two monday night games of course and pittsburgh washington is the first of them but i don't think you want to have to have a fallback in the rams and niners matchup i mean Kenny Britt starting over Marcus Wheaton is not not really the way you want to start off your season. Now that I've said that, Kenny Britt will probably have a fantastic week one, but let's be honest, it's, let's, let's not even really bank on that ever happening. Uh, no. One more important injury I want to get to, Devontae Parker. He's got a hamstring injury. I'm not expecting him to play much or at all. I mean, if the, if the Dolphins had practiced Thursday, he would not have participated. They had the day off, but they still listed him as a DNP, so... With Parker, if he's out there, he's going to be very limited. It's a tough matchup against Seattle anyway. And I think the other offshoot of this, without Parker, I think Jarvis Landry gets a lot more defensive attention. And I think with that, Jarvis Landry even becomes a player who normally you wouldn't worry about in a full-point PPR league. But this week, I think you have to think about sitting him down if you have a quality fourth option available on your bench. Yeah, even if you were the number one and everyone was healthy against that defense, you definitely want to say third wide receiver maybe he gets 10 ppr points if everything goes well there if he, if he kind of slips into coverage if they move him around a little bit which they do uh but you know he's he's like you said he's the type of guy that does need the entire offensive weaponry at its peak for him to like you said get less attention on the defense and i don't know if i trust ryan Tannehill to run adam gase's offense you know stunningly out of the gate especially on the road against the 12th man and all that stuff so yeah the dolphins offense for me this week is uh, not looking like Anything I want to touch, uh, and Parker's a guy. Once again, you know, if this injury happens to linger, it's you know, he's just another wait and see guy that could pop off as he gets healthy. But guy, you have to be patient with because he's really talented. But you, you know, hopefully he's your fourth or fifth wide receiver if nothing else. I think I lied. I think there's one more injury to watch. It's Chris Ivory. He's a little dinged up, but we'll know 
90 minutes before the 1 o'clock Eastern kickoffs if he is ready to roll. Uh, be sure to check out Rotowire, by the way, on Sunday morning. We get all the inactives as they become available. You don't have to go digging around looking for them for yourself. Get them all in one place, rotowire.com slash pod, P-O-D. Get a free 10-day trial. You can check out the inactives on Sunday. You can check out our daily tools as well. You can check out articles, everything we do except for the in-draft software, which by now you've probably drafted, so that wouldn't make a big difference anyway. Be sure to check that out, rotowire.com slash pod. No credit card required for that either, which I think is nice. I hate getting a free trial for something, for getting to cancel it, and then getting billed. Like That's just a pet peeve in life for me, Tim. I think Roger Goodell's behind that too. I blame Roger Goodell for all automatically renewing trials, but we we do not have that feature. You have to actually decide to buy it at the end of the 10 days. We hope you do if you check it out. All right, so you're staring at your weekly fantasy opponent, and you're thinking to yourself, I would love to challenge just one of his players, not his entire team. But your fantasy sports service doesn't allow you to do that. Well, now you can on the all-new No Halftime app. The No Halftime app allows you to create individual challenges using players or teams. For example, you can pit... Odell Beckham versus Antonio Brown, Cam Newton versus Aaron Rodgers, or even Ezekiel Elliott versus Todd Gurley. Creating a challenge takes seconds, and accepting challenges is even easier. No halftime challenges can be private or public and created for the NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL, PGA, and other sports. Visit NoHalftime.com for more information and to download the No Halftime app for your iPhone or Android device. Use the promo code ROTOFF16 and receive a 100% bonus up to $25. Real money and fantasy supremacy awaits you no halftime where the fantasy sports season never takes a break. Join today and get started. All right, Tim, let's take a look at some daily matchups that we like, focusing on DraftKings at the quarterback position. If you want to save money, you've got a few options this week. Which one do you like the best? Where, do you, where are you going if you're going with a cheap quarterback? You worry a little bit about the heavy ownership percentage um, with with this guy, but... I don't. I, it's really hard to pass up Dak Prescott at the minimum uh, price on DraftKings at five thousand uh, dollars. You know that that's a case where the, the, like the Cowboys are probably going to have to be throwing a little bit more than I think they want to to keep up because I think their defense is going to allow a lot of points to the Giants. It's going to be a very high scoring game. I think Prescott's going to be heavily involved in that. I think you know there's a lot of profit to be had and you know a two touchdown game of some uh, facet for him. So yeah, you, you kind of have to go with that, uh, especially for a quarterback position that's loaded with a lot of expensive options as usual. Yeah, Dak Fest could be pretty uh, pretty entertaining i'm looking forward to watching that game as part of the later block only three late afternoon games i think it's uh, the miami seattle detroit indy and then the giants cowboys game which i'm sure is the national game on fox so you can get your buck and aikman fill right away with an nfc east battle uh, but you look at dak at five thousand. i mean that makes a lot of sense and that that's you to keep in mind when you're playing daily in week one these prices came out a month ago if not longer i think the, the close to the mlb all-star break the week one uh-huh. contest started the launch i mean robert griffin at the time wasn't locked in as the browns quarterback i like griffin at 5600 i mean i think there's a chance he can do some damage against philadelphia i was talking to mario puig earlier on the sirius xm show and the one thing that philly does have is a good front they've got a good pass rush jim schwartz is the new defensive coordinator there but I think Cleveland's offense is actually pretty good. Like They're going to find ways to break that pressure. Terrell Pryor can get open downfield. I think Corey Coleman might have a pretty nice debut. Obviously, Griffin can throw a good deep ball. But I wonder if this is a good matchup for Duke Johnson. I'm a little worried about Duke Johnson's carry volume. But I think as a pass catcher, if that pass rush is putting a lot of heat on Griffin, Johnson might be the guy out in space who's getting a lot of dump-offs. Yeah, definitely screen heavy, it looks like. And I, I do like the Schwartz move in Philly because I think that personnel is actually really good for that, you know, his wide nine formations. Uh, but I, I will get to, you know, getting back to Cleveland, you know, Duke Johnson, I, I told you this is, uh, several times. I'm a huge fan of Hugh Jackson as an offensive coordinator and offensive mind in general. So I think the Browns are going to look a, a, a bit like the Bengals have in recent years. And obviously that backfield pairing of Isaiah Crowell and Duke Johnson to some extent will look a lot like the Gio Bernard, Jeremy Hill uh, tandem in their roles. And, you know, Duke Johnson to me is, I think a lot, has a lot more upside in his uh, overall skill set that Bernard does if, if all clicks right. So, yeah, Johnson against the Eagles, I think that's a it's a nice PPR play right there. I think he'll catch at least five passes against them. It's like you said, they're going to be kind of pestering Griffin all day, and maybe he'll have more of a penchant of checking down now that uh, Jackson's kind of mentoring Griffin a little bit to kind of change his game. I'm looking for some other cheap quarterback options too. I mean, the other names that are lower on the price 
range. We're saying like below 7,000. I mean, Jameis Winston, I think, is going to be pretty heavily owned on DraftKings, but 6,600 in what should be a pretty good shootout against Atlanta. I, I think Jameis is a top 10 quarterback this week for season-long purposes, too. So for the listeners out there who have him as a QB, too, he might be your better option in that matchup. I can see both teams putting up a lot of points in Atlanta. You go a little cheaper. Uh, Marcus Mariota, 6,400, so I'm probably staying away from him this week because it's a relatively tough matchup against Minnesota. But that game might be more interesting to watch because of the Titans' offense than people are letting on it. That, that's just one where, as much as Mike Malarkey wants us to buy into his team as this all-ground-heavy attack, I think they're going to let Mariota throw it a little bit. I mean, last season they were 21st in the league in pass attempts. But when you look at where they were compared to the bottom feeder passing attempt teams like Minnesota, I think San Francisco was low on that list, the Rams, this was a team in Tennessee that threw it about 550 times last season. Still bottom third, but not so bad where you can't get excited about Mariota. Right. I I don't like trying to pick one of the targets from the Titans each week, but I do like overall Mariota's pictures. Actually, not as not that bad, like you said. Uh, you know, Rashard Matthews, Delaney, Delaney Walker are actually, you know, pretty reliable targets. I mean, if you can get anything out of Kendall Wright eventually, that's pretty good. Andre Johnson, whatever, he may catch a couple per game. And, you know, Tajay Sharp, you know, this guy is very intriguing. Um, right with a little bit more excitement, I think he, he kind of fits as. But yeah, the overall situation for Mariota is is not bad at all. I, I, I as I said, I think it's more about not overvaluing any of the receiving targets that heavily. So yeah, Mariota definitely someone who has a good overall picture, despite what it may look like. Now let's talk about some running backs. Spencer Ware. <laughs> the ownership numbers are going to be through the roof because San Diego was bad against the run last year. Uh, I should say the expectation is that he'll be the main ball carrier if jamal charles plays that could chip away at the ownership slightly but even if he does i think smart players are going to stay on where as a good way to get some salary relief do you like where as a player or is this entirely about cost versus opportunity versus volume as opposed to where being someone who's actually like a standout talent um, I think Ware has security on the between the tackles role more so if it's going to be all three of them or you know even if Charles isn't there. I think he's the best bet for goal line work among those three in general. I don't like him every week, um, but you know the, the, as, as you said before, the matchup is just pretty killer for him. And you know the the Chargers were more of a uh, you know team that he kind of uh, beat up a bit last year. He had 96 rushing yards and two touchdowns, I believe, against them last year in Week 11. You know, they they don't match up well against the bigger backs from what I've noticed from last year. So that's a case where I think Ware is going to basically control the pace of the game. They want to keep Phillip Rivers off the field a bit, too. And, you know, obviously Kansas City is very conservative with their offense run first. So where's the guy that I think would lead the lead lead the charge in that one? You know, 15 to 20 touches, I think. Yeah, forty four hundred is a nice price for Spencer Ware. So it makes sense as a way of getting him in there to benefit from what could be really good production, but also to free up some cash for a couple of more. Uh, expensive players elsewhere in your lineup. What are your thoughts on James White? Thinking about the way that matchup between New England and Arizona could play out. He's 3,600. I imagine Arizona getting a lot of pressure on Jimmy Garoppolo, much like Philly might get some pressure on Robert Griffin. And with that, some dump-offs down to James White, which on DraftKings with full-point PPR at 3,600, I think he does have some GPP appeal, even if it's sort of a chalky GPP play. Right. Uh, you know, sometimes you have to have chalk plays just to keep pace to begin with. So uh, it, it's funny because then you'll think that, but then Belichick will go just LeGarrette Blunt the whole time and just, you know, keep them off the field. Maybe he'll get 15 to 20 carries as well. Um, I don't like guessing the Patriots backfield most of the time, but for the price, I I wouldn't mind, you know, taking the taking the chance on White because, like you said, uh, the Patriots receiving core, if, especially if Gronk doesn't play, is going to be a little bit iffy to begin with. So, yeah, White White at that price is is, is pretty profit-friendly as well. It's kind of funny that Blunt's only $100 more because, I, like you, I, I see Blunt maybe getting 15 to 20 carries this week as part of a ground-heavy attack that also it takes the pressure off Jimmy Garoppolo, but it also just reduces the number of plays that Arizona can run. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty big factor for an explosive offense. How about Kristen Michael? He's 3,700. He's home against Miami. Seattle, I think, is the biggest favorite on the board. They're minus 10. So if you think about how that game flow is going to work, that would suggest that Seattle has a pretty considerable lead late in this game. If they're resting Thomas Rawls at all, Michael could be a bell cow this week at a low price. That's my thinking exactly. Um, You know, 
when he was with the Seahawks last year, he averaged 4.9 yards per carry, you know, kind of that similar role of just, you know, wearing defenses down as, as that, you know, thunder changeup back type. So, yeah, I, I think Miami gets steamrolled by Seattle this week. And I think, as you said, that kind of plays into Michael at that price. You know, Rawls being the guy that's going to take a back seat for sure. I'm trying to figure out if I'm going to pay up for a running back on DraftKings, like which one I'm most inclined to pay for looking at the top options. I think it would come down to Zeke at 7,300 versus Lamar Miller at 7,000. If I've got that much money left over in my budget, because I think for Dallas, they're going to want to take the pressure off Dak Prescott. And even knowing that Ezekiel Elliott's going to get the ball a lot, I'm not sure the Giants can stop him. Improved defense or not, I mean, Ezekiel Elliott's going to be a handful for opposing teams to deal with all season long. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. I I do think the Giants front has improved, especially with, you know, Olivier Vernon, a great uh, run stopping uh, defensive lineman. Uh, The fact that, you know, the the Giants always kind of scheme up a little bit against the Cowboys. Obviously, two teams that always play each other tough in that sense. But yeah, the Dallas front is obviously hard to beat when it comes to offensive line. And yeah, Elliott's I I go back and forth because, like I said before, I think that the Giants are going to just run through the Cowboys defense. But as you said, they could use Elliott as that clock management weapon and obviously you know kind of batter that front seven so you know fl- flip a coin to that one because they're weird but you know elliot at that price is pretty good i kind of like Devontae freeman at 6900 um as you said before that that falcons um at buccaneers game could be uh one where it's a lot of a lot of offense as well and you know the buccaneers mid-range uh defense against the run last year and i i can see the falcons just kind of going back to freeman um in, in the reception game freeman too it, it... <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if he's relatively low-owned just because of the way he was treated in season-long drafts. Now, those things aren't very often related, but we just seem to have this mindset, we as an industry or a community of fantasy players, that Devontae Freeman was a fluke last year and that he's going to cough the job to Tevin Coleman or fall into a timeshare. That's definitely possible based on how last season started. Coleman was the, the lead ball carrier in week one before he got hurt last season. But it's 6,900 to get the guy who led fantasy running backs in scoring last year. I mean, he's only the sixth most expensive back in a game that is among the highest scoring projected point totals on the board. It, it is surprising that there's very few people, it seems, talking about Devonta Freeman. Maybe that is the way to go because Lamar Miller is going to be chalk. Like as an expensive player, he's going to be up there uh, among the higher owned players, at least over the sixty five hundred dollar price tag at running back. Like if you look at him, like versus AP David Johnson, I think Miller has a higher ownership number than all of them. One of the running back I want to bring up though, Eddie Lacy. I, I can't even analyze him properly anymore because my head and my heart get so divided. Like I, I want him to be pre twenty fifteen Lacy again. I kind of think he will be just because of the offense around him. He looks a little bit thinner than he did at the end of last year. I guess that's that's a weird way to describe it. He doesn't look <laughs> as heavy as he did at the end of last year. Like that's the better way to phrase there it, I go. think. What do you think about Lacey? Sixty seven hundred is the price. Is that a good price for him going up against Jacksonville? All right. You can see how you figure Green Bay will be all over Jacksonville offensively and Jacksonville has to come back and you know, Lacey being the you know, burn out the clock type of guy. I think that's too high a benchmark for me right now for him in DFS. I'm not all that comfortable paying for it because it could just be a game where Rodgers just carves him out and he gets four passing touchdowns and nothing really else comes of that. And I think the Jaguars defense actually is going to improve a little bit against the run this year because, you know, they've gotten guys like Malik Jackson that have come in and, you know, I think there's going to be a little, a little bit more resistance, resistance against the run. So I want Lacey's price to drop a little bit for me to really, really be comfortable using him because I can see that situation kind of uh, being a fluid one in terms of, of, of game situation. Yeah, that's understandable. I think if I'm looking at the mid-tier, Ryan Matthews at 5700 against Cleveland, pretty good price there. I've got a lot of season-long mm-hmm. exposure to Ryan Matthews already. If you don't have any, it's a good way to invest in him without having the long-term injury risk that he's always carrying. Latavius Murray at 5600 could be a very high-scoring game between the Saints and Raiders. Mm-hmm. I think that's the second-highest over-under total on the board. I don't really mind Rashad Jennings in the DraftKings format either. 5400 is the price there. Seems like the Giants are really consolidating that backfield this year under Ben McAdoo. Yeah, I don't think it's um, anything where Paul Perkins will be really chipping away at Jennings uh, for, for the most part. I think getting rid of uh, Andre Williams was at least a step to saying that this is Jennings' job. I, I think that Jennings actually was a really underrated, efficient runner last year. It's just he never really had all that many chances to do so. And, you know, Jennings usually puts up decent games against the Cowboys. And like I said, this Cowboys uh, defense might be 
the worst in the league uh, when it comes to allowing fancy points to any position. So, yeah, Jennings is a good mid-tier option as well. Strategically speaking, do you tend to spend most of your money budget-wise or percentage-wise on wide receivers in DFS? I think that's a safer way to go, um, especially that you have to start three. I've been in a lot of leagues, like, you know, uh, season-long games this year that, you know, you have only started two wide receivers and, and a flex. So, you know, running backs a little bit more uh, optimal for those. But, yeah, DFS, I think the safer bet's wide receiver and profit for running back for me, unless the situation is just optimally right. And I really don't see that clear-cut running back situation this week to, for it to be, you know, I want to spend that money for sure. I would... Like you said, you find bargains elsewhere and kind of use that leftover on running back. Running back is usually the last position I choose, to be honest. Um, so, you know, it, it's, a, it's a case where I would just kind of see where the player pool goes and adapt. I think that makes a lot of sense because I, I, I do build my lineups that way more often than not. I, I look at the receivers first, then I kind of I decide, like, am I paying for Gronk this week or not? Uh, this week would be a no. Uh, so then I, I kind of look at, okay, I've got a lot of money left over because I'm not paying for Gronk and I'm not paying for an elite quarterback, so... I'm going to throw, you know, 7,000, 7,500 like, per receiver slot out there. And if I find one receiver I like at 5,000 or less, then I can bump up the first two quite a bit. This week, I like some of the, the kind of like the second tier guys, even though they're, they're not, I, mean, I guess they are second tier in season long too. But Brandon Cooks is only 7,700. Mike Evans is 7,400. Yeah. And Sammy Evans, Watkins is yeah. 6,900. Like that trio to me makes a lot of sense as a combination even this week oh absolutely and you know it, it, it is kind of funny with those these week one prices always need that little bit of time to adjust because these are you know going into the year these do kind of get based on season long rankings anyway for the most part you don't really see heavy variation maybe you see some top 20 guys get into the top 10 for prices but you don't you don't have that you know big skew yet of of that ridiculous matchup up in the price of one guy just yet because you want to have that that you know history of statistics to base it on which doesn't really you know take the matchup into that much account so i'm definitely uh this is the week where you can really take advantage of stuff like that you know because you and i are i believe are pretty both big on mike evans i think that the falcons cornerback game is a little bit stronger than their run defense but you know at that price evans at you know twenty two thousand dollars cheaper than julio jones uh you know that's the chance i'm willing to take with that if you start looking cheaper than those top options at wide receiver, where are you going to fill in, whether it's for a third receiver spot or maybe the DraftKings flex spot? Um, I mean, you have guys like Marvin Jones uh, facing a secondary without um, without Vontae Davis. Probably that's probably going to be a good option there. Uh, yeah, I mean, Sterling Shepard against the Cowboys could be a nice little sneaky play. Um, if you don't want to pay for Beckham, that's actually not a really, really bad one. Um, Shepard is at 4,900 and Marvin Jones is 4,600, which I think might be the steal of the week at wide receiver. Um, yeah, and, th- and then you're kind of looking towards, you know, maybe maybe you even go to Vincent Jackson if you want to play whoever's not guarded by Desmond Trufant in, uh, in Atlanta. So, yeah, there's a couple of guys that, that, that are kind of intriguing to me. I'm with you on Marvin Jones. 4,600 is crazy low. He'll be heavily owned, but it's a good way to get some relief in there. Maybe a better cash game, 50-50 sort of target than somebody you're going to throw out there in your GPPs because you need to get some differentiation. If you're going to play you know, the Millionaire Maker, which is going to have a ton of entries this year, it's up to 723,000 entries already. I think the max is like 1.9 million because it's only three bucks to enter. You have to do a couple of things that are different. You can't just have all players that everybody else likes. So, you know, in that vein, I feel like receiver is a, a position, especially if you like a guy that's underpriced, you think he's going to be reasonably low owned, that's where you can get some of that differentiation. Uh, Willie Sneed will be a little popular in that regard. He's 4,800. Uh, Michael Crabtree at 5,500 is a little more expensive. Could be a good volume game for him. But one of the players I like that I feel like could be lightly owned is Mike Wallace. Like, he's always had a GPP reputation because he's more of a big play guy than a high-volume guy. But you think about the quarterbacks he's had to play with in Minnesota and in Miami over the last three seasons. They're not Ben Roethlisberger. They're far from it. He's got Joe Flacco throwing him passes now, and Flacco can actually throw a good deep ball. That's that's one of Flacco's better attributes. So I think Mike Wallace is a little bit sneaky in GPPs, big field GPPs at 4,200. Oh, absolutely. I, I think that the Ravens is an ideal situation for him because that's the role he's going to just go back to what he's what he's best at. That's why they got him. Maybe, you know, Brashad Perriman down the down the line might affect more of his touches. But I think that, you know, Wallace just 
they may, he was thinking a little bit too hard in some of the offenses he's been in since Pittsburgh. So this is kind of just, you know, use your speed, do what you got to do type of thing. I guess in that same vein, I kind of like Travis Benjamin at 4,100 as well uh, for the Chargers against the Chiefs. Uh, that the type of game-breaking type of, um, you know, separate yourself, big play uh, type of uh, person that, you know, as a third wide receiver could really, uh, really do some damage there. And, you know, maybe – Maybe you go Torrey Smith. I forget what he's priced at here, but you know that that's a type of other guy that you might want to look at as the as the he can go off or do nothing type. The ones that can win you those uh, those big tournaments. Yeah, it's weird. I don't think Torrey Smith is included in the Millionaire Maker. I think they're only. Oh yeah, he's not. It's bizarre, right? Like it. Hmm. Well, they're not. They're not running either uh, either one of the Monday games. Oh, they're not. Okay, so wow. it's only right. it's only the Sunday millionaire for uh, for this one. So that I guess that's good. Someone's going to know they won their million dollars Sunday night as opposed to having to yeah. wait a day. Which, if you were winning the Millionaire Maker after Sunday and you still had a player left too, so you knew you were in the mix, your Monday would just be it would be hell. Like you would just be <laughs> miserable all day Monday, like d- like before the game starts, during the game, and until the game ends because there's nothing but downside watching and waiting to see if that lead holds up so i, I kind of like that it does chop off the two monday games even though i've never actually been in contention to win it before that's a very good point i, I could imagine myself if, if i were to happen to be in that position i would probably go mental for most of monday and you know monday's already suck for the most part so i think that, I, I think i have to like go exercise it. for five hours until i <laughs> like, the, fell asleep for like four or five and then could like wake up in the third quarter of the monday night game like that <laughs> that's the only way i could survive that day is to just Somehow, like, overcome the adrenaline with an excess of exercise, pass out, and then, you know, wake up to find out that I dropped 300 spots and that I made 20 bucks instead of a million <laughs> or something along those lines. Um, let's shift the focus over to the tight end position. Gronk versus the field. Gronk 7,400. Travis Kelsey's 5,000 by comparison. I think this week, Kelsey would be my preferred expensive option. I think Delaney Walker. Might be a close second. What are your thoughts on Kobe Fleener, though? Like, I'm I'm not a Fleener guy, and I just wonder if that season long bias against him is kind of getting in the way of me taking advantage of a good matchup for him against Oakland. It's a great matchup, but the fact that he's already, you know, for what it's worth, the third most expensive tight end. I know the gap is huge between Gronk and everyone else, but it's almost putting expectations on him already that I don't know if I want to meet them. His, I think he's going to be high ownership percentage for sure. I was actually talking with Vlad Settler about this on Twitter a little bit. I, I just don't think that – it's kind of like what I was talking about before with um, with Eddie Lacy, the fact that the benchmark is already kind of set high before he's even done anything this year. So, I, you know, and the fact that I would start him everywhere in season long, I don't think that he separates himself that much from the field where he's, you know, maybe um, – Eleven hundred more dollars more expensive than Julius Thomas. I think I'd rather have Julius Thomas for thirty eight hundred and take my chances there. Or, you know, Zach Ertz against the Browns, who I think are going to be pretty bad against the pass. And, you know, even you know, even Jared Cook's twenty nine hundred dollars. That's you know, I, I think I'd probably rather go cheap at tight end this week with all those uh, things considered. I think it makes sense, and it, part of it's going to come down to my budget. I'm going to build my receiving core near the beginning, kind of figure out which quarterback to go with. Maybe it's pairing Jameis with Mike Evans in this case seeing what the running back spot looks like, and then going to tight end maybe before only going to defense last. I mean, that might be the way this fleshes out for me. If I've got enough for Kelsey, great. I'll play Kelsey. I think Kelsey against San Diego is fine. But if I don't, and if I have to go down to the sub $4,000 range, I mean, Thomas, I think, is a decent call. I don't think Thomas is going to be high volume, but I think Thomas will be utilized enough in the red zone where he's intriguing at that price point. Maybe Dwayne Allen. 3200 on Dwayne Allen seems pretty cheap for a matchup against the Lions. Again, that's, I think, at the highest over-under total on the board for Week yep. 1. Yeah, I mean, I'm a big, I was a big Allen fan in uh, season-long drafts just because the role's finally his. And, you know, Rob Chudzinski, a full season as offensive coordinator, the tight ends had to come into play huge. And, you know, if you said that if the Andrew Luck reports are true that he is on a pitch count, maybe they want him taking more conservative, uh, more conservative passes. And Allen up the seam sounds like a really good uh, matchup problem for Detroit trying to figure out defensively if there's one defense i'm really going to gravitate toward i mean you can pick on jay cutler with the texans at 3200 that could make some sense uh seattle is expensive at 3900 if you can afford it i think paying up for seattle could work i mean ryan Tannehill could take a step forward this year with adam gaze as head coach but they might not have Devonte parker seattle's at home it just it, it looks like a pretty bad setup for the miami offense and, and with that I think I might pay the tax and just take Seattle. Yeah, I hate paying up for the top defense most weeks, but it, th- th- I think the differentiation in price this week 
uh, is not as as gut wrenching. The Eagles against Cleveland, I kind of like at thirty three hundred. Um, and then again, you also kind of like the Browns against uh, Carson Wentz if he were to start. Uh, that'd be kind of an interesting play there against the rookie. Uh, yeah, the the defense is like I said, it's one of the last ones I pick usually. The Packers against Jacksonville, twenty eight hundred is not a bad one, even though you know you, you probably do expect Jacksonville to score a little bit. Maybe they'll get some turnovers and sacks away from that as well. Um, yeah, it, it's Arizona's probably you know a little bit better for me than Seattle just because you know the, the four hundred dollar difference maybe I think gives them a little bit more of an edge for profit than uh, than Seattle does but like I, th- I think you're right in Seattle's that the biggest chalk this week defensively yeah you just want to you want to pick on weaker quarterbacks or just go Seattle at home I think those are the kind of the two <laughs> the two trains of thought and again budget will be a big factor but I, I think you might, you might be right I mean the Browns is like a punt defense at 2300 mm-hmm. going up against Carson Wentz or Chase Daniel probably Carson Wentz that could be Actually, pretty pretty good uh, as far as getting surprising output. As far as some tough calls, season long, what, what tough calls are you faced with this week? What, what players are you typically not thinking about sitting that you actually have to think about sitting this week? Well, kind of kind of what you've been talking about with that that um, Tennessee Minnesota game. I do think Demarco Murray, even though they probably will pass a little bit more against Minnesota, I think that that defense is kind of a strange one for him to go up against immediately because I think they might view Derrick Henry as the better matchup for for that big front there. Um, you know, and obviously, how how much do you downgrade uh, Big Ben against Washington and Josh Norman? I, I for one, I'm not certain that Norman's going to remain an, an elite cornerback because, you know, I think the Panthers propped him up a little bit. He's very good, obviously, but I think the Panthers made him a little bit better than he actually was for the most part. Uh, do, do, do you see that, you know, ask yourself, do you see that Big Ben's production being crazy if they just kind of snuff out Antonio Brown the entire game? I'm not so going so far as I would say to bench Brown. But, you know, one of the, when he faced tough quarterbacks, you just kind of have to downgrade him to top 12 receiver, not the best receiver in fantasy football for that week. So I think the Steelers have a couple of questions on their offense uh, heading into the week, even against a Redskins defense that isn't the greatest but could be elevated a level. I'm glad we're going to get a chance to see Antonio Brown up against Josh Norman first because, mm-hmm. frankly, I want to see what kind of pass rush Washington has before I have to decide – if other receivers, and I wouldn't sit Brown against Norman, if other receivers need to be given that treatment. I think Carolina's pass rush is so good. That's what helped make Norman as effective as he was last year. I agree with you. I think he's a good corner, but I think he was also in a very good defense last year, and I'm not sure he's in a very good defense this year. He might be in an an average defense or a slightly above average defense, but that could make enough of a difference where some of the wide receiver twos, especially that you would sit against Josh Norman last year, are now viable options in matchups against Washington and Norman this year. Oh, absolutely. And I do think a lot of that kind of, you know, traces back to, I call it the not the, not the awesome effect where the change in defensive scheme just really exposed a cornerback who everyone kind of hailed as being the, you know, the greatest thing ever. And all of a sudden he's chopped liver because, you know, the pass rush or the, the zone coverage isn't helping him anymore. So yeah, it's, it, I think it's a big litmus test. Might be one of the most important storylines in week one of fantasy. Yeah. Namdi back in the day, Revis for a long time has had mm-hmm. that sort of reputation last year. It was Josh Norman. Always fun to see who actually emerges to be, the corner that you don't want to match up with, which may be really just a defense as a whole that you don't want to match up with because of how the pass rush and the secondary can flow together. Anything else on your mind, Tim, here as we uh, get close to the full slate for week one? Well, I I am... I'll reiterate how angry we are about the probable being removed from the injury report just because it makes our jobs a little bit tougher and it, it kind of makes the game of fantasy a bit grayer, which, you know, I think shades of gray are good because it kind of gives a nice little, uh, you know, inference of how you can win by having more insight than some of your, uh, your, your, your competitors there. But I think you and I are going to have a lot more long nights because of that and, um, you know, might have to get a little more together at the bar at some point when we actually see each other be to commiserate over that <laughs> yes uh, we will we will commiserate over um, nice belgians i think will be yes. the, the preferred preferred beverage of that evening but i i am really hoping teams just instead of listing the probable guys as questionable just don't list them as anything and then we're not worried at all like that would be that'd be perfect but the early indications are that it's not going down that way that's going to wrap things up for today's episode of the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast, sponsored by NoHalftime.com. Good luck in week one. Nick and I are back with you on Monday.
They're gonna kill the love of my life. Casey! If I don't go back to what I was doing. This Friday. Our line of work is quite brutal and quite ruthless. How far would you go for love? You steal truck, bring it to me. Then you make your money. Is it dangerous? Of course it's dangerous! Nicholas Holt, Felicity Jones, with Ben Kingsley and Anthony Hopkins. All this trouble, all this pain for love. Collide. In theaters Friday. Rated PG-13. May be inappropriate for children under 13. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.